Can't get enough of football? Chance! Goal! Superhuman! Special, special goal! Incredible! Just incredible! Now you can get the inside look. Welcome to Football Insiders, your home for informed, insightful and independent opinion, news and talk on football from the team behind Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers Festival. Oh, what an introduction! Welcome to another edition of Football Insiders, the podcast home of Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers Festival. I'm Benita Merciadis and I'm talking to you today from another yet another beautiful day in lockdown Sydney and we're going to talk with two authors today, two authors from the one book. It's not the first time we've had co-authors of a book. We also had that with the Encyclopedia of Matildas by Andrew Howe and Greg Werner. But this one is very different in style. It's Be My Guest, Football Superstars in Australia by Jason Goldsmith, who is also the author of Surfing for England and Lucas Gillard. So without any further ado, let's have a chat. Jason, Lucas, welcome to Football Insiders. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Benita. Uh, we haven't done a three-person podcast before, so that's going to be different, not only for us, but for everyone who's listening, I imagine. And um, we're also struggling with the um, the challenges of lockdown, as as we were saying a little bit earlier before we, we started recording. Um, we've got I don't know about where you are, but where I am, I've got renovations happening all around me, not at our house, but our neighbours. So apologies to anyone listening in advance. If you hear some strange noises, um, that's from the renovations going on behind us in particular. So, look, Be My Guest is um, a, a wonderful read. I mean, I get, I, I don't, I, I guess I say that about all our books, <laughs> but as someone who's, um, you know, been around and watched football for a long time in this country, it, the first thing it did when you first raised the, the concept with me um, was I thought, well, that's such a great idea. Why hasn't anyone thought about that before? Um, and it is a great idea. And I think for anyone who um, has has seen some of these people play, it's a great trip down memory lane. But let's take people back. How did you come up with the concept of, of writing a book about Australia's football superstars and Jason maybe you can answer that yeah no problem so um for my previous book I had to interview Tony DiRigo obviously the the Adelaide raised uh, Australian who went on to play for England and he talked about being at Adelaide City when Justin Fashionu was there and he was saying how he was pestering Justin Fashionu what's it like to be in English first division and, and sort of using him as a mentor and also about once a year, there's a George Best article that appears about his time in Australia. And we had just gone through the craziness of Usain Bolt um, being in Australia, trying to make himself a professional footballer. So um, it got me thinking about the number of these players that have played as guest players within Australian club football. And as it turned out, Lucas and I had a, a 12-hour drive from Melbourne to Jamboree for the Football Writers Festival, and I had a short list and went through those names with Lucas and said, I need someone else to, to help me with this. There's too many names. And Lucas said, yep, it's a great idea. And he had extra names that I hadn't thought of, and then it got us down the, the rabbit hole of researching and looking and looking and, and finding around the number that we've got, and there's also probably – a good number that we didn't actually include in the book. It's not an encyclopedia, but there's just a number of different players that had different impacts and played at different stages of their career and that kind of thing, and, and that's where it came about. I was actually Jason's Uber driver. We'd never met before um, 
for the drive. Um, no, we, we, we played cricket together um, back in the day for a local cricket club. And, um, yeah, J- Jason approached me and uh, he knew I was, uh, had a huge interest in football and had done some football riding on the side. So it was a, a match made in heaven. Just just on that, I mean, how did you both come into be football fans in the first place? Well, I think that we both knew that we were connected via social media and our sort of our love of the Socceroos and, and following the local game. But um, I'll, I'll answer for me personally then hand over to Lucas. We're, I'm like fifth generation Australian, so I've been bred a diet of Aussie rules and cricket being in Melbourne constantly. Um, you know, great-grandfathers were, were members of, of local VFL teams and that kind of thing. But for me, it was um, the Socceroos and how it unites everyone from different backgrounds rather than, you know, a divide of each state. Like everyone in the country will follow the national team. And when they have an, an amount of success, uh, it's amazing watching everyone jump on board. So for me, it was the the 92 Olympics and how um, the Olly Roos defeated Holland to make it through to qualify for Barcelona. Yeah, for me, I, similar time frame, except I was a bit later, I guess. I, I got really into Euro 96 um, and I guess got caught up in the Britpop kind of vibe. I, I'm also a, kind of a VFL, AFL fan, some Carlton Football Club um, memorabilia behind me. There's actually a Carlton Soccer Club poster up here that you can't see. But um, got into Euro 96 and then was got deeply, found myself deeply in, involved in the 97 um game against Iran and the qualifying campaign for, for 98 and then just completely immersed in um, France 98 um, and sort of it just escalated from there really. Okay. So in, in terms of writing this book, how did you divide it up? I mean, did you divide it up based on the players that you each came up with and how did you check on how each other was going? Lucas? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we sort of grouped them by kind of interest, um, a geographical relationship uh, for some of our research as well. Um, Jason's got a connection to, to Perth and, and to, to Canberra and Sydney. Um, so we knew, and we made a short list of people we knew we'd have to speak to, and we sort of grouped them up by association and and, and just split the difference pretty much. There wasn't any uh, grand design other than that, I don't think. No, and then there was some crossover too. So we had, um, you know, people that were playing, like Bobby Charlton was playing in Perth and in and in Sydney as well. So a little bit of a crossover there. And then you've got, um, yeah, who else? George Best obviously playing everywhere. Um, but, yeah, but we basically went through who wants to look at who, who wants to look at, at which player, which one has an interest and, and sort of divided it from there. And, and did you sort of... Check in on each other as you were going because a lot of it was written during lockdown last year. Yeah. yeah. Um, so did you check in on each other, or did you swap pass swap chapters or anything like that? Yeah, our um, Lucas and I have a conversation thread in Facebook Messenger, in uh, Twitter, in uh, SMS as well. So constantly back and forth whenever he would find some piece of research on myself that was interesting to the story or interested to the other person's player, we would share it. Um, Lucas also got married and had a baby all in between all of that as well. And he only referred to me once as sweetie with all that, uh, with all those chats. So I think we did quite well in that respect. I meant that one too. That was. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking of which, how is baby Tully? Oh, she's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mum and Tully doing really well. Um, 
yeah, you'll know, Benita, that we were some uncertainty about whether to name her in the book because uh, we hadn't fixed on a name, but that actually gave us the kick that we needed to to commit to the name. Yeah, <laughs> just when for those of you who haven't read the book yet, but when you do, um, you'll come to acknowledgements um, and uh, there's um, or rather about the authors, and you'll you'll see the information there about um, the name of the children of both Jason and Lucas, which is a lovely touch. And it's her first Fair Play publishing baby, so um, she, she's very special to us. <laughs> um, one of the things that's remarkable about the book, and, and you know, I, when whenever I receive a manuscript as publisher, the first thing I do is just read it and not, not make any comment, not not annotate it, nothing, just read it as a, as a football fan. But I was amazed at the number of people, not only the number of people you spoke with, but the people you spoke with. I mean, including, again, one very late change we made is, is to acknowledge that um, Paul Mariner had passed away um, very late in the piece. So how did you get to make some of those connections? Just um, in, in the Paul Mariner example, uh, he, he was working in the US. He he, he was doing uh, some commentary for the US on the, the MLS and some work specifically with the, the New England team. Um, and so I wrote to them and they connected me and, and he was really great to chat to. I also spoke to Bob Latchford. Again, that was a connection through Everton. So um, had a bit of communication back and forth with the Everton Historical Society because Sandy Young's also um, kind of a key character in our book and, and a former Everton player. So connections made there and, um, you know, often introductions through of introductions and that, that sort of thing. And Jason obviously through his previous book had made quite a lot of connections too. I think the Australian football history uh, community are amazing in, in sharing that knowledge and providing uh, leads and introductions. It's been quite uh, quite good that way. I only Some of the players that we're talking about are just in a different stratosphere and the chance to actually talk to these guys would be extremely difficult and we did try um, to talk to a lot of these guys. A lot of them have passed, as you mentioned, but um, I got to speak to um, Mick Shannon and that was quite easy because he still runs a successful, uh, he's a successful horse trainer in the UK and his son was actually working for Chris Waller's Stables in Sydney as well. So got to speak to his son uh, who was with him when he came out on one of his trips to play for, for Newcastle in the old NSL. So um, the players themselves are great, but within the Australian community, there's so many people that want to put their hand up. So we spoke to um, opponents, we spoke to teammates, we spoke to coaches, opposition coaches, historians, fans, commentators. We probably got the whole gamut of people that had watched these players at different different sort of levels. Yeah. yeah, even if each of those bought a book, you'd be doing well with SAS. <laughs> we promised a few freebies to, to keep people. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah. I, it, just- it, it, oh, I was going to say, just, just to reiterate, it's really quite remarkable and impressive the, the number of people you spoke with and, and who you've spoken with. So well done on that aspect of it. Lucas, sorry. Oh, yeah, I was just going to just echo Jason's um, point and, and that, that point there. Just, just They were so eager to talk to us. Um, they fully pretty much to a person, embrace new content about Australian football. They want to see the sport flourish and they want to see new new, new content be created. Um, and so, yeah, I remember I, I spoke to Paul Wade and he was really, really generous with his time and that was just a random um, email and he was yeah, very keen to be involved and just uh, just speaks to the kind of the, the community that exists. Yes, and I think probably the um, – the- I would, desperation might sound too too strong a word, but but there is to share those stories and to tell them and and make sure all of that information isn't lost. I'm going to go back to someone you mentioned a moment ago, Lucas, and that's Sandy Young, 
because I, I think if um, anything surprised me the most in the book, it was that opening story. So tell us a little bit about Sandy Young. Yeah, Sandy Young. He was the um, evidence uh, goal scorer in the 1906 FA Cup, their first FA Cup win. Um, he, um, I don't want to give too much away. There's a bit of a twist at the end of that that chapter, isn't there? But um, well, his story was one that was largely lost to um, lost lost to to modern fans. Um, the the Evident Historical Society that I mentioned earlier had done quite a lot of work in the last five, ten years to find out what happened to this guy. He's still in the top five highest um, goal scorers for Evident. Um, and his story just sort of got lost. He They knew that he'd emigrated to Australia um, and not sure what happened to him after that. There was a lot of rumour, innuendo. There was a lot of um, myths about him getting arrested for sheep um, or cattle rustling and various other things. So it was really the, like, intrepid work of the Evident Historical Society that um, uncovered the truth of his story. And I was excited to be able to add to that um, to some extent. I found that he had actually, while he was living in country Victoria, uh, he emigrated from from the UK to country Victoria, he actually had played some football um, for the local team, which was kind of a new a new element to the story that... Um, uh, that that wasn't well known. Um, I can give away the twist if you like, Benita. But. Oh no, don't give away the twist. Buy the book. But uh, you know, in, in all seriousness, if if you were Paramount Plus or something, listening to this podcast, that's a great story to put into into some sort of short film because uh, it's quite an incredible one. I would urge everyone to 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 have a look at it. Um, Jason, in terms of you, what was the most surprising thing that you learned during all of this? Um, very good question in terms of surprises. I'd, I'd have to think about that one. I'm not sure anything that comes to mind straight away. Uh, initially, I guess I read, I read probably 30 to 40, uh, biographies of these players that came out that wrote their whole story in a book. And a lot of the time, either Australia was glossed over or it rated a paragraph or um, a couple of pages. A lot of the time these these English footballers, especially in the 70s and the 80s, weren't paid so much, so they needed to do a sort of an off-season tour of duty to get some extra cash. But a lot of these guys had gambling issues, drinking issues, social issues, and that's what they were doing was just topping themselves up. But one of the unique ones, I guess, I think I found was um, Super Mac, Malcolm McDonald, um, who's from... He played for Newcastle United and Arsenal, that his now wife is the, the ex-wife of um, Brian Johnson, who's the lead singer of ACDC. So there's that Australian connection there. Um, so, yeah, I, I found that one quite interesting, the crossover with, uh, with the music and the football reference. What, what, what about you, Lucas? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, the, the really amazing thing to me is that, you know, as we were writing this book and we were chatting on various um, social media platforms, um, the question was, with the, are guest players a good idea? Do they work um, or not? As a, as a general concept, certain players obviously work better than others, um, worked in inverted commas, um, but does the, does the concept itself work? And the, the more we researched, the more we wrote, I, I'm still not really closer to an answer to that. Um, it's... Because there are there are pros and cons. Obviously, you, you're paying money to this player. Um, that money could have been gone into youth development uh, or something. They're only here for a little while, so there isn't a lot of time to transfer the kind of the knowledge and the skills and the professionalism of the of the elite player to to younger players. But then there can be this kind of epic, in some cases, epic boost to to, to crowds. 
which pays it itself off, Kevin Keegan being a good example to that. So, yeah, the surprising to me is that I haven't quite yet resolved whether guest players are a good idea or not. I think it's more of a um, case-by-case sort of basis. What's your thoughts on that, Jason? Yeah, I agree, but I think the legacy is the one thing that's hard to measure. So what we did discover in regards to that, Romario plays for Adelaide United, um, doesn't work but they then get three Brazilians that are on their list that know who Adelaide United are because of Romario and they make the Asian Champions League final. Um, Kazoo plays for Sydney FC, which leads to Shinji Ono and then Honda knowing who it was. And uh, Benito Carboni played like three or four games for Sydney FC and he provided the reference for Alessandro Del Piero to join Sydney FC. So there's a kind of a link there that it might lead to something good. Mm. It's hard to measure if that's the case, but it does put the clubs on the map or the Australian club football on the map, kind yeah. of. Yeah, absolutely. And Ian Rush is another example of that. The Sydney Olympic were quite keen to get him because they had this um, great crop of young players, um, Brett Everton being the, the standout. Um, Colina was also there. Um, and they thought that having Rush might open up the network of um, or at least cast something of a spotlight on these younger players um, from uh, interested parties in Europe or that he might pick up the phone and recommend um, – uh, uh, Nick Carl to Liverpool or uh, whatever. That was, it's more of these, yeah, there are a lot of these intangible benefits as well, as Jason was saying. Well, was that a, um, a stated ambition for Sydney Olympic or um, was it one that they've sort of post them? You know, was it actually something that they strategised at the time? Um, from modern retelling of the story, yes, and I, I presume that that was the case, that they they had these young amazing um, star players. Um, Everton himself was getting calls from Manchester United um, before Rush had joined. Obviously, he was an elite junior player. Um, But they had these great young players. They also had, um, you know, their crowds were down, which is a common theme in the book as well. They were trying to do something to to, to boost crowds. Um, They were also hoping to add a little bit of extra flavour for their sponsorships as well. So it was a kind of a combination of factors that arrived at a big star player and Ian Rush was available and one that they identified. But, yeah, you know, I think that, that certainly was part of the planning and, um, yeah. Um, we've, we've talked about anything you learned that was surprising, but what about in terms of who whose story or which player disappointed you the most in, in terms of their time in Australia? Um, Jason. Um the St. George people say Charlie George was actually quite a disappointment for them, that he he was um, pretty much phoning it in and the only game that he really got motivated for was when he took on uh, Super Mac, Malcolm McDonald, in, in 1977 when St. George came down to take on South Melbourne and he scored goals in that game, the only game he scored goals. And that's because he was the former Arsenal hero against the current Arsenal hero in Super Mac and that's the only time he really got up for it and he didn't really turn up. So he was disappointing. But in, in further researching the Charlie George story, he flew from – he was at Derby County. He flew to um, Sydney to play with St. George, but then they were offering to sell him to, I think, a Swiss club. So he had to go back to Europe for a medical and then come back to Australia to finish out his um, his guest stint there. So you can imagine the, the jet lag and, and travel being in the 70s, not like it would be now. That, that would take it completely out of you. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of failures. There's a lot of failures. I think some of the recruiting tactics are, are fantastic. Like um, Mario Jardel's recruited from YouTube highlights. 
and um, and Louis Garcia is recruited from a Liverpool Legends game. So some of the recruiting tactics probably weren't as robust as they could have been as well. What, what about you, Lucas? Who did you think was the most disappointing? Yeah, I mean, I feel I I feel for Andrea Riccardi. Um, He's still active within the football in Australia. Yeah, in Australia. Uh, he was signed by Marconi in 93, 94. Um, they just won the, uh, the, the premiership. Uh, and he was advertised as, the, as an AC Milan legend or AC Milan star, but um, advertised by Marconi as such. Uh, when he was signed, but in fact, uh, he had he played for AC Milan during their kind of lowest ebb after they'd been relegated to Serie B, and he, he was largely a Serie B player who occasionally um, made forays into the top flight in Italy. And he just um, he was obviously also uh, at the end of his career, and he he just couldn't live up to that to that billing, um, and had a, a pretty uneventful um, short period at, at Marconi. Um, but then somehow managed to get the coaching job at Marconi the following season. He, he made something of an impression with the um, with the backroom team there and got the got the management job, even though his playing season had been such a, a failure. And to the point where he was actually being mocked on the field by by opponents for how poor he was. So um, that, that was the kind of the most disappointing thing um, for me. But I, I wonder how much of that was his fault and. Um, more kind of poor marketing, poor advertising from from the club. Value, yeah. yeah. What about you, Grayson? Uh, in terms of disappointments, yeah. Who, whose story that you? Uh, I mean, I guess also there's an element of surprise implicit in the question. Is you know who were you most disappointed by, or who who was the most disappointing? Uh, in, in a different way, I think Bobby Bobby Moore playing in Perth. That's what I would say too. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's the World Cup captain of England. He's like this. He's in a different stratosphere, but also again terrible with money. So he comes out strictly for cash. And um, I got to speak to his coach uh, when he came out to play for Inglewood Kiev. His coach was Jimmy Pearson, who's a, a Scottish-born soccerer who was part of the '65 soccerer's attempt to qualify for the World Cup. And Jimmy just said, "Look, he was just hopeless. He basically came out because he was broke." And he didn't even move. He just stood there, but took all the photos, signed all the autographs, and to the point where he was supposed to play, I think, three or four games with him. But after two, um, they sent him to a, a Perth second division club down in Rockingham, and he went down there for a quick cash grab as well. So, um, yeah, in terms of on-field performance, absolutely um, was, was literally phoning it in and just getting the, the money to take home. Yeah, that was my impression too, Bobby Moore. And I, I guess um, – it's quite a contrast too when you think of, of of him as compared with, say, Bobby Charlton, who at the time that I was um, working on your book, I was also working on Andy Bernal's and also working on another book that's to come out. And all of you mentioned very differently Bobby Charlton um, and every single one of you in your books talk about what a wonderful person he was and then you read about Bobby Moore who's sort of up there as you said as as and everything he achieved and it was quite disappointing to read as a as a fan who wasn't aware of any of that um, I guess the reverse of that is who, who do you think was the most successful of those football superstars in the book um, and we should mention that people such as Alessandro Del Piero are not in it because he came for an extended period. Um, but who do you think was the most successful and why? And what lesson does it give us 
I can see Lucas. You're yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess not wanting to go down a rabbit hole, but there's a how do we define success? I think the um, with guests, you've got either this um, boost in crowds that that um, people just come out to to watch them play, or their actual on field um, performance. A couple of guys I wrote about. Um, on the on-field side, um, were remarkable. Um, Davy Proven uh, was one in '85. He Sydney. He joined Sydney Olympic. They're kind of having a. They've had a few injuries. Their um, their seasons on the precipice, but he joins Sydney Olympic um, for five games. Scores five goals. They win all five games. And this is a you know a couple of weeks after he'd scored in the Scottish Cup final um, for Celtic. So. And uh, quite remarkable, really, that they were able to um, recruit a player of that calibre. And this is kind of at 85 is like peak Scottish football as well. So he just comes out and blows the opposition away. He's untouchable, basically. And Bob Latchard would be the other one. He scored, uh, he played five games, um, scored four goals and just um, almost unplayable. Reading match, match reviews, they say they're obviously just a class above the um, NSL opponents. Yeah. What about you, Jason? There's a, there's a few. So, and there's a few that come back for a second stint, which is not nearly as successful as well. So, um, initially, I think Peter Price, uh, who uh, is an Air United, the, the leading goal scorer in, in Scotland for Air United, he came out and played 10 games in Sydney in the 60s. He scored nine goals, including a hat-trick in the first 25 minutes that he played. Um, so quite a success for them. Um, Super Mac, uh, we mentioned before, he played three games and scored three goals. So in terms of return on investment, he was there. Um, Mick Shannon played three games for three goals for Newcastle in the NSL, but then he came back two years later and played six games for zero goals. So, um, you know, went back to the well, didn't quite work. Uh, Azanovic for Sydney United, the Croatian 98 World Cup legend. He was a superstar the first time. They brought him back for the second Second, the next season, and he'd put on a few kilos, and it was not the player that he used to be as well. Um, so the other one you could probably throw in there is, is David Veer, in that he scored two goals in the four games that he played, one of them off the bench. But the disappointing thing with him is that he signed a 10 game contract and played four. So he left a sour taste in the mouth of everybody because they were expecting him to, to be there for a few more games and probably would have scored a lot more goals if he played number six. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be at that game where he scored against Sydney and um, saw it live. It was it was wonderful. Yeah, um, I'm just going back to Dave Proven too. I might, might just add um, the Celtic connection is you'll be you'll both be delighted to know that Ange Postecoglou has actually ordered the book in the past 24 hours. Excellent. So, um, just thought you'd like to know that. And and there's a, a whole range of wonderful photos in the book. One of which is of Dave Proven, which was taken on the streets of. Um, Kudji in Sydney after he, and the person who wrote that particular newspaper report was the late Michael Cockrell and Dave Proven standing in what looks like a very forlorn looking, a bit, almost like a lockdown Kudji. There's no one else in there. But he made the point, he made the point that he loved being in Sydney because he could wander the streets of Sydney and absolutely no one knew him and he wasn't mobbed, which of course is what would happen in Glasgow. Mm, yeah, and he his story is also sad in, in one way. He, he was, from all accounts, he was he was ready to come back and he was keen to uh, even get into coaching in Australia and come back to Sydney Olympic the following season in 86. But um, Proven developed um, chronic fatigue syndrome uh, later in 85, at the end of 85, and basically um, 
he, he made stuttering sort of comebacks, but basically was never the same player. And um, so Sydney Olympic, you know, notwithstanding his health and um, this, and you know, you know, he, he's a, he's a commentator these days and and is um, still very active in football. But um, yeah, they, they missed out on another season of the probe and potentially player coaching. Um, which is, I guess, uh, one of those um, sliding doors Australian football moments. There's quite a few of those. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of those. I think one of the legacy of David Proven was when Robbie Slater said to me playing against him was the motivation saying this is where I need to be at that level, played against David Proven and would finish his game and then run run laps around the local park after he's played a National Soccer League game just to improve his fitness. Yeah, and you notice that too again in, in – um throughout the book where you mentioned some of the names that they have played against some of the locals and you sort of think um, Robbie's articulated that to you but it's probably had an impact on others as well. You you would think so and you would think um, a lot of these teammates of these players, opposition players, the rest of it, that's the one thing that, again, you can't measure but has it had an impact of of where you need to be to the next level. I mentioned Tony Dorigo at the start so clearly there's an example of of another one leaning on the, the professional, what do I need to do to make it kind of deal? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we, we might leave it there. It's um, time for us to draw this to a close. And that's look, that's just a taste of Be My Guest, football superstars in Australia. It's now available from us, Fair Play Publishing. Um, it's also available if you've got bookstores that are open at good bookstores, um, but a lot of those bookstores are selling online as well. And it's out also um, as of Monday um, as an ebook and available through the usual outlets. So um, I would really recommend it. It's a great read. It takes you down, for those of us old enough, it takes you down memory lane. For those of us who are young enough, um, you learn a, a lot more, a bit more about what Australian football has done in the past and and any lessons that may be learned. Of course, we'll hear more about that, um, if not beforehand, certainly at the Football Writers' Festival, Cross Fingers, to be held in March next year at Jamboree. Seems a long time away now, but it'll go quickly enough. Um, And I'd like to... We're going to. I'm going to have a chat with Lucas and Jason individually about some of the players they've written about in the book, so we get a little bit dive a little bit more deeply into that um, in coming weeks. But for now, thank you to both of you. Um, it's great to see you both as well. And for those of you who are not familiar with some of the podcast mechanisms nowadays, you can actually see the people you're talking to while you're recording it, and it's lovely to be able to do that. So thank you from to both of you for your time, and and well done, and congratulations on the book. Thanks, Benita. And that's it from Football Insiders for this edition of our podcast. Thank you again to Jason Goldsmith and Lucas Gillard and congratulations to them again for Be My Guest Football Superstars in Australia. It's really a fun read. I would thoroughly recommend it to you. Next month we have coming out at Fair Play Publishing both Play On, our e-magazine, which is focusing on the A-League, and Greg Downs' Dedicated Lives, Stories of Pioneers of Women's Football in Australia, where you'll find some stories about well-known but not so well-known people who have contributed to the development of the women's game in this country. So we look forward to both of those. Until you hear from us next, stay safe, stay at home and keep well. Take care. Thanks for listening to Football Insiders from the team behind Fair Play Publishing, home of the Football Writers Festival. Be the first to get inside access by subscribing. And to get more, head to fairplaypublishing.com.au. 